Guys, help me by thanking Brian for being with us today. Appreciate you, Brian. Thank you. It, he makes it look really easy, but it's not easy. Uh, it's a little bit more than just waving your hands up here, you know, to keep everybody in time. And Kirk and Tim and their wives, they have a group called Evidence. They are out singing this weekend, and so we're proud for them and excited about what they're doing. And grateful that you could be with us again, Brian. And he'll be here tonight in our evening service as well. Uh, next week's a pretty special week for us. It's our Vision Sunday. Not every Vision Sunday in the future will look like this one does, but uh, next week I want to just remind you that uh, in the 9 o'clock hour when you would go to Life Group, you'll not go to your Life Group class. You'll just come straight to the gathering room and we'll all be in there together as we're really kind of rolling out what we feel like God has for us over the next few years. We've been praying about that and seeking his will on that, and that's kind of a big deal for us. David Evans, our good friend from the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board, will be in the service. And so I just remind you that if you serve in our children's area or you serve in our student area, uh, do that service and then come to the gathering room, not to service in here that day. So that's a, a big day for us. As we talk about vision, I want to maybe ask you the question, why do you need a vision? We talk about vision a lot of times, and I think we mistake it for something beyond us. It's not just for us. But, you know, I had the unique experience of growing up in a visionary's home. My father was a pastor, and uh, I got to hear him lead churches through visions. And then we made a transition when I was in high school, and he was working at a corporation here in town called Lifeway. You may have seen it on the news where they just imploded that building uh, downtown. Pretty cool to be able to watch that. Uh, but he had, I remember when they were going through that time period, I remember how exciting it was that they said, Lifeway's goal is to provide biblical solutions for life. I still remember that. I was 14, 15 year old kid at the time. And that's what they were really endeavoring to do. Because of his connections, I had the opportunity to be around some great visionaries. One of them that always comes to mind is a man named Bruce Wilkinson. You may remember Bruce wrote a little book called The Prayer of Jabez many years ago. And I'll never forget sitting at our home having dinner with Bruce and uh, just listening to him talk about how vision carries you along and how forgiveness has to be part of the vision before God can get you to where you want to go. You've got you've to kind of lose some of the anger and bitterness that you have in your life. And it was powerful. I got to attend a seminary at two different places. One in particular always comes to mind, and that's Liberty University because our founder there, Dr. Jerry Falwell, founded the school, the, the church, and Jerry was a unique man who believed that vision was an important thing. Uh, in fact, uh, he believed it when no one believed it. He started a school in a tent. Sounds exciting, right? But now, I went back a few years ago, they have a fake snowplex. You can snow ski all year round. It's amazing. I was teasing in the first service, uh, we have some people that have their child is at Liberty and uh, I was teasing them that she never wants to come home because it's like summer camp there all the time. I mean, it's an amazing place, really and to what they've made it to be. Even though I spent a lot of time surrounded by those visionaries, I don't think I really fully understood the power of what vision does until the last few years. And here's what I mean by that. When I pastored uh, the church that I pastored in Virginia, I was much more of a reactionary vision type person. Let's see what God's doing. And we just kind of react to that and kind of follow where he goes. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think there's some temperament issue, you know, that probably makes me a little more bent that direction. But I do see the power of vision and why it becomes really important. Over the last uh, little bit, I've been leading our staff through a time of vision. We've spent about 15 months 
kind of crafting a vision of where we feel like God is leading us to go in the next uh, few years. And, and it's just taken a long time. But I think one of the downsides when we talk about vision is that as I've said that, I imagine most of you think about vision and you associate it with the business world, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of where we see it. And we don't realize that the Bible speaks about vision. In fact, I'm going to give you a head start. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk, all right? So that's in the Old Testament. If you find Psalms and Proverbs, make a right turn. If you find Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, make a left turn. And you'll find the book of Habakkuk. If you've already given up on finding Habakkuk, it'll be on the screen in a minute. Don't worry about it. Uh, But we're going to be in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk today talking about vision. When we talk about vision and we think about it being in the corporate world, we miss out that it really is in the spiritual realm as well. And if we do think about it in the spiritual realm, most of the time we make a mistake and we think that's only for like, you know, uber big churches, the, the highest echelon of leadership. And that's not right. That's, that's not how it is at all. And so we're not, you know, talking about vision for your business today, although I think that will help you. But when we talk about this, I want to start because that's our framework Let's start with a definition of what a, a business's vision might look like, and then we'll use some of the imagery in there to kind of break it down, and I think you'll be able to see it, and we'll turn to the book of Habakkuk. Let me read you the definition for a vision. A vision statement is a company's roadmap indicating both what the company wants to become and its guiding transformational initiatives by setting a defined direction for the company's growth. Now, let me use some of that imagery for just a second, roadmap. That helps to understand vision, doesn't it? A roadmap. And if you're a believer this morning, you know that the Christian life is a journey, isn't it? Maybe you've read the book Pilgrim's Progress, and you know that life is a journey with the Lord. And as you walk that journey, it's, it's like walking a road. You, you need to know which direction you need to take. In fact, in the old days, the Jews used to say they were marching towards Zion, and we speak of that today. We're talking about marching towards a new Zion, a new Jerusalem, which is where? It's heaven. That's the road that we're traveling on, trying to get towards, and I think that's really important for us. When we talk about guiding principles that frame this vision, those are the things that keep you on the road map. Principles keep you in line with where you're going, and here's what principles really allow us to do as believers. They let us exactly know what we need to say yes to, and the things that we need to say no to. It really helps us. It, it makes those decisions really simple, right? Because this doesn't fit the framework. So I can say no to that. It doesn't fit where we're going. It doesn't fit who we want to become in Christ. It doesn't fit, so we're going to say no. But oh, then there's some things that we need to say yes to because God wants us to do this. And so we're able to do that. Now, here's the thing. Do not get lost for just a second as we talk about vision. Let me break it down for you in another phrase And I'll use these interchangeably today. But when I'm talking about vision, I'm talking about a God-sized dream for your life. A God-sized dream for your life. And everyone needs vision. It doesn't matter if you're a grandmother or a new mother. It doesn't matter if you're working outside the home or working in the home. If you're a college student this morning with us or you're one of our young professionals, you're ending your career, you have a family, you don't, none of that matters. God has a God-sized dream for your life, and he wants you to know it and live in it. So when we talk about that God-sized dream, we see this really clearly in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a prophet who was living in some not-so-favorable times. 
His nation had turned their back on God and were walking away from God. They weren't interested in the things that God had for them. kind of sounds like America today, doesn't it? And Habakkuk was praying to the Lord and just saying, what are you doing? What's going on? When are you going to do something about this? And God gave him the most amazing answer. He said he was going to do something, but then he told Habakkuk about this vision that there were some things he needed to do. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2 and verse 3. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision. Inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it will certainly come. It will not delay. So how do we get to a clear vision for our lives? How do I know for my family what God's God-sized dream is for my family or for my business or for our church or, or just my life in general? How do I get there? Well, there's four key words that I think lead us to vision that allow us to see where God is leading us towards this God-sized dream. And it's not new to me. I want to just say that it's not original to me. This has been around, but I think it's really important when you see it in the light of Habakkuk's scripture that God gave him when he told him to do these. So four key terms, let's look at these like this. The first word is history. The first word is history. How does the past factor in to what God is doing now? Habakkuk was part of a nation that had had and experienced a, a glorious past. I mean, it had been awesome. They had seen God do some amazing things from delivering them from bondage in Egypt to uh, leading them to the promised land. I mean, they had had unbelievable opportunities and they certainly had a past. The mistake is when we try to restore the past and believe that how God operated in the past is exactly how he's going to operate in the future. It just doesn't work that way. It's funny, if you read the scripture, the miracles uh, don't seem to repeat themselves often. Have you noticed that? God, God doesn't have people where he drowns an army in the Red Sea, but once, right? I mean, that's kind of the thing. Uh, Jesus does certain healings and whatnot, and sometimes people touch his cloak. Sometimes he lays hands on them. Sometimes he speaks to them. One time he gets down in the mud, and he, 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 he makes mud out of the spittle. With, you know, he spits in his hand out in the dirt and puts this mud on this guy's eye, and, and he's healed. But that's not how he did it every time. But our past can inform our future. The mistake, though, is thinking that what God did in the past, he's absolutely going to do now. How God answered the prayer in your life last year probably won't repeat itself this year. But it's really important because the past does inform our future. But listen to this, it cannot dictate it. The past informs your future, but it cannot dictate it. We see this really well illustrated in the Apostle Paul's life. Paul was a person who had written the book of Philippians. And when he talked about Philippians, he talked about his past. I love this verse of scripture because I like to read it every year at the beginning of the year. It just reminds me that what God has done in the past is a building block, but God is not uh, kind of limited to what he's done in the past as far as how he relates to me or you or our lives. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. What does he mean? I haven't gotten there yet. But the one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What Paul was saying here is, I was brought up to be a Jewish theologian. He didn't stop being a Jew when he became a Christian. Have you ever thought about that? He didn't stop. He didn't forget all the theology he was taught. He didn't lose the Bible instruction. 
What happened was, when God changed his life, God used all of those things to lead him to the ministry that he was going to do. And people were radically changed by the Apostle Paul's life, and God used every bit of it. Where we came from will absolutely be used by God in where we're going. Our past informs our future. And we see the past clearly. It allows us to make decisions consistent with who we are. So we think about this as a church, the one thing we wrestle with a lot of time is what you wrestle with. Maybe as a college student you're wrestling with it a little bit this morning is identity. Identity. The greatest place you can get to in your life is when you look in the mirror and you clearly see who you are in Christ and the gifts and abilities that God has given you and you stop trying to be someone else, right? It's a glorious thing. You ever watch a teenager when they become really free in who they are? They just, this is who I am. This is the way God made me. I'm excited about it. I'm just going to live in it. You know, for many years, I looked in the mirror and lived a lie. I believed that God messed up when I didn't make it to the National Basketball Association. I mean, well, I actually didn't make it off the JV team in high school. But I wasn't going to tell you that, but I feel transparency is deserved. It's not like I had a tryout or anything, right? But when you finally look in the mirror and realize, okay, this is not happening. That's not who I am. Who am I, Lord? What is your God-sized dream for my life? And I began to see how God had used things in my past to inform my future. And he does the exact same thing. In your life, you know, the funny thing about it, I think a lot of times when we talk about our past, if we were maybe to understand how it informs our future, let me do it this way. I grew up in a great family. My wife grew up in a great family. We just spent time with them at Christmas. It was great, enjoyed it, and all those kinds of things. Our past certainly is some things we brought into our marriage, you know, from our families. But my family's not that I have. My, my family, my children, we're not just like my parents were. You aren't just like your parents either. God uses your past. But that's not the the only lane that you can run in. Every vision has a history and its starting point that informed what we're going to be today. At our church, we have a 107-year-old history. What does that mean? It means that it's a rich tradition of some things. But what it also means is that while our past informs our future, the wrong thing to say is, well, we've never done it that way before. When you say that, like, I'm just going to go ahead and if you're ever at a meeting or your home or well, just anywhere and those words come out of your mouth, hit yourself. Just, just go ahead. That's not a reason to do anything. Same reason, well, we've always done this. That's not a reason to do anything. There may be some great reasons we had to do that. Or in your family, some great reasons that your parents said, this is what we're doing, doesn't mean you always have to do that, right? But your past informs your future. History informs the story going forward, but it can't be your vision. It can't be your God-sized dream. So the next word, history, but then the word time. And you say, well, time and history, are they the same? Not exactly. The prophet Habakkuk had spent a lot of time asking God to move on his behalf. There was time spent in prayer crying out to God. He was distraught about his country's situation. And you have to absolutely spend time before the Lord to get the vision. Every vision starts with time. It can't be a half-baked idea that you and some friends had over chips and sauce at the Mexican restaurant on Sunday afternoon and you just say, this is our vision for my family or this is the vision for my company or this is my God-sized dream. 
That may be the starting point. That may be the impetus for it. But vision takes time. It comes through Bible reading, prayer, wise counsel. Over this last year, as we've gone through these things, I I decided that I needed to read the Bible again in a year. I've read the Bible again in a year. I've prayed about our vision. I've dreamt about our vision. I've brought in wise counsel for our vision. You do the same thing for your family, right? You don't just turn course and change direction. You, You have to know that God's leading you to something, and you have to be able to spend time with him. You got to be able to ask yourself these questions, Lord. You've given me these gifts, these abilities. You've given me a history. How are you going to bring all of that to bear? And when you do that, you begin to start to ask some questions for your family or your children or your grandchildren or your work or your church. You say, Lord, if we knew we couldn't fail, what's the one thing we do for you? How could you leverage all of these things to do something amazing in the kingdom, God? What would you do? You begin to take time with the Lord. And I think that's the thing that most of us don't realize we don't have. I think it's holding us back from a great vision, a God-sized dream, is because we don't hear from God. If you're older in the room, you lament the fact that there's no time. You lament the fact that there's no blank space in people's lives, that people always have their head buried in a phone or in a computer or television. If you're one of our college students, you don't even know the difference because you've grown up that way. And let me just say this. You have to create some margin in your life for God. If you're going to hear from God, you have to create some margin where you're not responding to an email, text, the the latest Facebook post about some cat falling off a, a couch. I mean, it's the most worthless things that we give our lives to. And we don't even realize that we have no margin for time. We run pillar to post trying to be everywhere and be everything to everyone. It doesn't work. And we begin to say things like this. It just doesn't seem like God is speaking anymore. God's speaking. No one's listening. I'm reminded of that. Oswald Chambers wrote about the prophet Isaiah and how God gives a general call. If you remember Isaiah chapter 6, God said, Whom shall I send and who will go for me? He didn't say, Isaiah, will you go for me? He said, who's going to do it? And Isaiah was listening and said, here I am, send me. Who's listening this morning? You want a God-sized dream for your life? You've got to spend time where there's margin. You've got to get to the quiet space where God can drill down into your life and really begin to expose those things that aren't working, where he can say, your pride has to come away. Your sin has to come away. We've got to move past these things, and we can't until you're willing to deal with them. You've got to deal with them. Give me the blank space of your life. You've got to be silent before God and allow him to work through the clutter of your life your mind to realize the God-sized dream that he wants for you. So history and time. But then, clarity. When God spoke to Habakkuk, he said something interesting. He told them to do something, I think, rather odd. He said, record the vision and inscribe it on tablets. Right? Tablets, not a scroll that could be burned up. It, I mean, you think about a stone, you know, make sure that it lasts for a long time. That's important. This vision was going to be carrying them through for a while. But then he said something I think that's great. He said, you need to make sure that you write it plainly. 
the word that you was using in the original language there is the word fluently. In our first service, we translate this uh, preaching time into Spanish. And if you've ever been anywhere where you needed a translator, you know how maddening it can be to try to communicate your thoughts and not have somebody to be able to translate for you or have somebody trying to translate and they're getting, you know, they don't really understand what you're saying, you don't really understand what they're saying, and they're kind of getting the gist of the idea. But that's not what God told Habakkuk to do. He said, you write it fluently. And if you're going to write it plainly, it means so that it's understandable. You've got to be able to do that. If you don't know what the vision is, it's impossible for you to communicate it. There's no clarity behind it. The great philosopher Yogi Berra, okay, he was a Yankees, not so much a philosopher, he was a catcher, once said this, if you don't know where you are going, you will end up someplace. Deep stuff. What does he mean, right? If you think about it, everybody laughs about that quote, because those yogiisms. But think about it for a second. It's true of your life. If you don't know where your family's going, it's going to end up someplace. Where? If you don't know where, where God's God-sized dream for your gifts, talents, and abilities are leading you in your vocational life, you will end up someplace where? As a church, if we don't know where we're going, if we lose sight of the clarity of vision, we will end up someplace, but I don't think we'll like it. See, clarity drives you forward. It keeps you on the roadmap because nothing in life stands still. Your job's not going to stand still. Your family's not going to stand still. This church doesn't stand still. The city doesn't stand still. Everything is constantly changing. So knowing with clarity the vision that God has for your God-sized dream becomes very, very important. The problem for many of us is that we don't have any idea how to express with any hope that there would be clarity around God's vision or God's sized dream for us. You will end up somewhere, but where will it be? Let me tell you what clarity's not. Clarity's not telling God, this is what you have to do. I want to play in the National Basketball Association, make it work. You can try. He doesn't generally respond in my experience. You know why? Because it's his God-sized dream for your life, not your big dream. There's a big difference between your big dream and God's big dream for our lives. When God's God-sized dream grips your heart and grips your life, it changes everything, doesn't it? Because you know that with clarity and purpose, you can walk in it. Let me show you two simple ways, and I think this will help you understand the clarity aspect of it. But when you understand clarity with maybe these two examples, I think it will help us if you were to enroll in a, a degree program, any degree you want, let's just, for instance, say that it was you wanted to get an education degree, master's or doctorate or college, doesn't matter. Let's say college. When you show up at college, they hand you a little handbook, and they say, these are the classes you have to take. You're going to take this many of them in a semester, and if you do that, in four years, you will be licensed and accredited and ready to teach. Now, what they don't account for is how many years you take badminton one and badminton two and ping pong one and golf one and frisbee golf and, you know, I mean, all water aerobics. I mean, there's a lot, right? If you lose sight of that, what the end goal is, and you lose sight of the clarity that keeps you walking in that, we call you like a lifetime student, you know, six, eight years living in the dorm, 
hanging out, eating at the cafeteria, winning all the intramural championships. That's not clarity of vision. You understand? Same thing could be said if we were talking about if you wanted like a health goal this year. Like if you just had a goal, yeah, I want to be more healthy this year. Great goal. Good aspiration. You know what, you know what studies continually show us? If that's not tied to something with clarity, you have no chance of achieving that. But let's say you tie it that I want to be healthier this year, and I'm going to do that. We're going to take a family hike. I want to go on a hike in four months with my family, and I know that's going to challenge me, and so I need to do that. Well, what do you do? Well, in January, there's some things you need to start doing. You start eating a little bit better, right? You start walking maybe like to the mailbox. That'd be a start for some of us, right? You know, get our own mail, not just drive by and open it, you know? Uh, we walk around the neighborhood next week, and maybe in, in February, we get out and we go to Percy Warner Park, and we walk and hike one of the trails over there, and, and we start setting this goal. And that goal and the clarity of that goal allows us to say, you know what, tonight I don't need the second piece of chocolate cake. I have a goal. I have something that is really clarified for me that I know that I'm working towards. When God gives you the God-sized dream and you begin to walk in it, that's exactly what happens. But here's what happens to a church, your family, or your life. When, when you don't have any clarity about vision for your life, here's what happens. You end up somewhere, but is it where you want to be? A number of years ago, I guess it was about six years ago, the Nashville Baptist Association contacted our church and said, we'd like you to consider meeting with a church here in town who has come to a crossroads point in their lives. They're not sure whether or not they should shut the doors on their building and give their property away to another church, maybe a church start. They're not sure if they should sell their building. You know, there's some property developers that want to buy it. Or if they should merge with another church. I'll never forget it. It was a Sunday afternoon at about 3 o'clock because we had to get back for our evening service. But myself and Pastor Gene and Pastor Phil went over there to meet with these people. Walked into their building. They had a sanctuary that seated about 500 people. They had space. They had Sunday school classrooms. The building was in disrepair. It needed some work. But the bones were there. You know, I mean, the structure was there. Could have been, could have been brought back. And... It was fascinating. We walked into a meeting with these people after they showed us the building, and there were 20 people in that church. Seats 500, 20 people left. And here was the surprising thing about that experience. The surprising thing wasn't that they were terrible people. In fact, they were great people. The people that I met seemed to be really interested in following God with all their heart. They seemed to be growing in the Lord. I mean, and so it, it was a little, a little unsettling because it was like, well, how do you get here? Because these are good people. These aren't, they weren't fighting with each other. I mean, they had a love for each other. How do we get here? And they didn't call a business meeting to do this, but this is what happened. At some point, they decided that they didn't need to clarify a new vision for where God was leading them. They didn't need to clarify the past for being what it was. And they decided the present was okay and they just stopped. It doesn't work. Clarity of the vision helps you when things are changing to not just sit and wait for something, to not just hope it gets better, but it allows you to see where God's leading you and you begin following after that and God does amazing things with that.
You know, our church is no different, really. We have good people. I love the people of this church. I believe that most of you are here because you're seeking to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart. But we cannot just decide that this is good enough and stop. We will end up with a great building and 20 people one day if this is all there is. What's the same way for your family? You can't just stop. You don't just decide that you know, we're not going forward and not, not doing this anymore, not working with our kids. And it doesn't work like that. You have to keep going. What's the God-sized dream that he's laying on your heart? That next word, the last word, comes from verse 3. Habakkuk was told to wait for the vision, though it tarried. So that word is patience. There's history, there's time, there's clarity of vision. But then when God reveals his God-sized dream, here's the word you need to just write all over your Bible. Patience. Why? Well, because God allows his vision to unfold over time. And time has a process he clarifies it, but you need patience because God is working to refine your character. He's refining your character. We see that in the Old Testament. With almost every person, God gave a great vision. Immediately, they had to have patience. Abraham and Sarah. God says to them, I'm going to come back, Abraham. I'll make you the father of many nations. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to give you a son. He's going to raise up. And they had to wait a minute or two on that son, didn't they? How long did that take? Years. And you remember what happens, right? Uh, they, they end up having that son, and he ends up having a son named Jacob. And Jacob labored for years before he was able to return to his homeland with his family. And his son, Joseph, spent years in bondage as a slave and in prison before the vision God gave him actually came to fruition, where he told his brothers, I see you guys bowing down to me. That took years for that to take place. Even Jesus, our Savior, lives 33 years. Only three of those years that we are really certain of are spent in ministry. God's preparing and unfolding and waiting for the right time. So why we need patience is because this road that we travel on is long. And it takes a long time for God to refine us and to make our character what he wants it to be. We oftentimes see it looks like nothing's happening. It, it just seems like we look around and God gave us this God-sized dream and we're kind of in a quiet spot and we mistake that for God's inability to carry out the vision or we think that God has forgotten about us or we think that God is too busy to care about us and nothing could be further from the truth. God is refining us because he isn't wasting our time. He's waiting on the right time to fulfill the vision, the God-sized dream. God gives us vision, but God's never given me a timeline and said, on this day, this will happen, and this day, this will happen, and this day. It doesn't work that way, does it? We're concerned with time a lot more than God is. He has eternity. And he has a long time for you to be refined and for you to be shaped into who he wants you to be so that you can realize the God-sized vision that he has for your life. 
But a lot of times, what do we do? We get impatient in those times of waiting. We're not seeing the harvest. We're not seeing the fruit of all of our labors at work or in our family. And we get impatient with that and we start trying to move things along. Well, let's go back to Abraham and Sarah. How did that work out for them? You may remember, God says, give you this child. Uh, Years pass. And Sarah says, I have a great idea. God seems to have forgotten about us. Maybe what we should do is just take matters into our own hands. And I'll give you my servant as a wife because plural marriages are fantastic. They work out great. You ought to try it, Abraham. Right? How did that work? It was horrible. The consequences of that sin we're still living with today. Right? People who who didn't wait on God. God had given the vision. God knew exactly what it was. They weren't willing to wait on God to show back up and do what he needed to do. God doesn't forget his plans. He's working at his own pace. He's not forgotten his plans for you. He's not forgotten that you want to be married. He's not forgotten that you're waiting to have a child. He's not forgotten that you're waiting for something to happen at work. God moves at his own pace. If we're not careful, we'll just abandon the faith in that vision when times get tough and let our faith falter. And that can't happen, folks. Our faith And who God is is what ties us to the vision, not the faith in the vision. Have faith in God. He's on his throne. And because he's on his throne, he is working things together for good. Remember what God told Habakkuk in verse 3. The vision was not going to fail. There were no outside forces that could derail it. There wasn't a government, economy, anything. Nothing could derail the vision. He said, write it down. So here's the question. Are you going to follow God's dream when you need to be patient, when it's hard? Everybody wants to follow God's dream when the money's rolling in at work, when everything's going perfect, when your kids are doing exactly what they're supposed to do. It's easy to have God's dream. Where I mean, everybody loves that, right? But what about in the lean times when God's given you this God-sized dream and you need to be walking in it, but it's requiring patience? Have faith in God that what he has called you to do, he will resource you to do it's funny because we're talking about god-sized dreams and i realize that some of you this morning don't have a god-sized dream for your life because you've never experienced a god-sized love for your life see god's dream for your life started a long time ago in eternity past the scripture says that god knew us and formed us he knit us together in the inward parts. He knew me before I was a thought to my parents, before my parents were a thought to their parents. God knew me and had ordained that I would be born. But see, when I was born, I was born into sin like you were. And the scripture says that our sin separates us from God and God being rich in mercy and love because he had a God-sized love for you and a God-sized love for me decided that he wouldn't leave us in sin. So what he did, he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross in our place. That's God's God-sized dream. That's where it starts. It starts when you recognize your sin as a reality that is separating you from God. And when you deal with that by confessing your sin and repenting of it, and repenting just means to change directions. Walk away from all of these dreams that you've had and walk towards the dream that God has, his God-sized dream for your life, where you can know peace and love and joy in Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
And when you admit that you're a sinner and believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, you can be saved. In fact, the scripture says you will be saved. That's God's God-sized dream. That's the jumping off point. And if you've never done that, I want to encourage you today to do that. But if you have done that, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you've kind of just been walking along this road, not really sure of where you're going to end up, you are going to end up somewhere. Where's it going to be? I want to ask you today to commit 2018 to discovering your God-sized dream. To really spend some time in that. Not not just to go eat lunch and come back and tell me next week that you now have a God-sized dream. But to allow God to, to start working in your life and allow him to begin shaping your life and to leverage all of those things that he's placed in your life that have led you to this moment. What does he want to do with you this year? How's he going to use you this year? He has a dream for your life. I want to ask you to do something with me. Would you bow your heads and pray? I want everybody just to take a moment and spend some time. If you've never experienced a God-sized dream for your life because you've never experienced a God-sized love in your life, you can know that today. And I want to tell you how you can do that right now. If you would pray to the Lord and ask him to save you, the scripture says you will be saved. You can be a new person today. The old will pass away. And you may not know how to do that, and that's okay. I'll lead you in a prayer right now, and I want to just say this. It's not the prayer that saves you. There's nothing magic about a prayer that I would lead you to. This is just, if this is your heart, you can pray along with me, silently there. But it goes something like this, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I have failed when it comes to your standard. I need your forgiveness. Cleanse me. Save me. I believe that you died on the cross in my place. And that you rose from the dead.